um, because it's no longer sold in stores. Um, it's not something that you can buy on a regular basis. Thank you. Um, it's not something that you can just buy. Um, it's something that's online um, because I think he, he passed away um, in 2003. Um, he was born in 1914. Um, and um, when he passed away, he actually put together one thing to make this accessible. Um, it's called Responsive from the Holocaust, um, which is basically a compendium of these um, where he doesn't go thoroughly through any of them. Um, basically, all he does is he asks all the questions, um, a lot of the questions, and then he gives like a one-paragraph answer, like what he answered. And to be honest, when I was going through this, I was a little scared to give a, a class on this, to, give a, to give a, have a conversation about it, uh, because they're all terribly sad. Um, it's like, I understand Yom HaShoah is supposed to be like a sad thing, um, because on some level it has to be, um, but these are like awful. Um, just some that I'm not going to speak about that I was like thinking about doing originally um, was there's a 10-year-old that wants to put on um, phylacteries to fill in for the first time um, because they know they're going to be sent to a death camp and he doesn't think he's going to be able to do it after he's bar mitzvah. Um, there's um, a couple about um, pregnant women who passed away um, that they want to know if they can do an autopsy to see if the baby's still alive. Um, there's a whole bunch about what do you do if you had to participate in killing somebody? Um, can you still be a Kohen afterwards? Um, can you still um, lead the services on Yom Kippur? Um, there, I mean, yeah, there's some here. I mean, there's so many of them. So basically, the problem is, is like, to have like a, a real conversation about them, it's just so hard and so painful. Um, so I had trouble finding two um, that we could do that weren't like awful, um, that were some, like they, they are a little bit, um, but they're not like, they're not painful. In fact, I think they're, they're like really nice. Um, so Ephraim Oshri um, lived in Lithuania, um, in a town that I don't know how to pronounce, um, and he he he, um, he he learned under like a lot of famous rabbeim. Um, the Devar Avraham is 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 an acharon. Um, he's a commentary on the Gemara um, that's uh, fairly important, um, and he um, was one of the only people that answered questions that survived. Um, and what he did, he did something pretty amazing. Um, the way these survived was he got questions and he wrote down questions throughout the Holocaust. Um, he wrote down on any scrap of paper, wrote down like a couple sentences of notes on what his answer was and buried them in cans. Um, and then after the Holocaust, he went back and dug them all up um, and then basically rewrote the Chuvot. Um, rewrote the answers, and you'll see in um, in the answers when we do them, um, you'll see like there's like a third voice, like it's not him just answering the question, it's him answering the question and talking about what it meant to answer the question. Um, so it's a little meta um, on that level in a way that others aren't, because normally they're in the moment. Um, he's writing these, even though he answered them in the moment, he's writing them uh, five years later after it happened. Um, so just to see what you have in front of you, um, the last two pages um, are copies of the actual questions and answers um, from 
um, this book. Um, they're in Hebrew, um, so I translated them, which is what the first couple pages are. Um, so these are my translations. They're not perfect. Um, I also didn't like fully go through everything, because at some points it gets fairly technical, and it kind of misses the point, um, for us at least, um, although it might be an interesting separate topic about, um, about these topics. Um, and then in the middle um, is the Kel Male uh, for the remembrance of the victims of the Holocaust um, that will um, say during the, um, during the uh, candlelighting ceremony at the end. So the two questions that I thought we could discuss is, is one I think is particularly like inspiring slash painful, um, and the other one is particularly relevant right now. Um, the first one that I think is relevant right now is one relating to Passover. Um, there were a couple of these, um, which I find incredible and crazy and like insane, um, where they're asking these questions about Passover while they can't like eat and they can't, um, you know, there's just such hardship and they're worried about getting flour to bake matzah. Um, so the question that here is asked, um, I actually found two that were in a row that were asked, which was pretty nice. Um, so um, this one um, was, there's an obligation to drink four cups of wine at the Seder, um, and it's a fairly important obligation, and they go through, um, they go through it. Um, he goes through why that is so a little bit. Um, and so we have the four cups of wine, um, and the question is, how in the world can you do that um, in a ghetto? where, like, you don't have access to... Like, that's not even, like, an option um, to maybe steal wine. Like, these things aren't options. Um, So what do you do? So normally, um, the questions of these natures are usually one line. They're normally like, how do I I drink four cups if I can't drink wine? I'm allergic to wine. What do I do? They normally look like that. Um, In this Sefer... Um, this is the one example in this book. It's the one example that I've ever seen where the answers are long, where the questions are longer than the answers, um, because every single question has this whole preamble um, that every single when they asked questions, they had to like justify asking the questions. Um, so I was wondering if we could read through um, my semi. Um, okay uh, translation. Um, I tried to do the best that I could. Um, so I was wondering if somebody could start off um, with question one. Here are the lines. Uh, okay, the question number one and then the question. Uh, sure. Uh, I was asked how to observe the commandment to drink four cups of wine together. Question. In these terrible times where we are in pain and anguish and have taken a large blow to our bodies and our souls from the evil Germans that are trying to wipe out the holy nation of Israel from under the presence of God, therefore it is incumbent upon every single person in the ghetto to do everything they can to protect the strength of their souls from hopelessness. For that is what they try to destroy first, to get rid of our spirit, so that it will be easier for them to carry out their evil plan. Therefore, it is important for everyone to protect their religious lives in every way they can, so as not to endanger themselves so that their soul will not lose strength. Those in the ghetto know that, protection, know that the protection of the soul, of the holy soul, is intertwined with the protection of bodily strength. So, let me pause there. First of all, that's the person asking the question, not the rabbi giving the answer. That's the person that's trying to find the answer to how do we draw, 
drink four cups of wine is talking about how it's so important for us to drink four cups of wine because we don't want to lose hope. We want to keep a, our traditions. And that's what, um, uh, the, that's what they're trying to take away from us. And so how can we still do that? Um, they're trying to, like, this is normally, like, not okay. Um, it's like you obviously know what you want, they want like they want the answer to be, um, and they want the answer to be, how can we do it? Um, not can we do it? Um, but the way they ask it is so, it's so powerful um, that doing this is like existential, um, that it's not just drinking four cups of wine and that's important and yeah, and so I'll drink as much as I can. Like in this context, um, it's so far, it's like such a bigger deal um, than it is um, than it was last week um, or, or last year. Can you continue? And so, when I began to review the laws of Passover, the stuff of the younger men, as the law states, to, be, to uh, begin learning the 30 days oh, before, to, to begin learning the laws 30 days before Passover, I was asked how in these days we can fulfill the four cups of wine. For we do not have any wine and any other alcohol that we can make uh, would be a problem of volume 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 so just a couple things to notice. Um, there is that something we spoke about um, in the third meal every um, every sh- every Shabbat for the last month or so. Um, we've been doing the laws of Passover because of this reason. Um, there's this idea specifically with Passover um, to learn the laws of Passover uh, for the month uh, before, um, for the 30 days before. And so they were doing that, which is crazy in its own right. Um, they were sitting down and learning the laws of Passover despite the fact that they were in a ghetto. And they had a question because they couldn't get any wine, and the only wine they, the only real drink they could make that could be okay um, would have been um, a problem of chametz on Pesach. So presumably they had, like, let's say they had some barley, so they could have fermented barley um, to make some type of whiskey type thing or, or beer type thing, um, but that's a separate problem of having chametz on Pesach, um, so that doesn't help um, the problem of not having the four cups if you're doing something um, worse. So the one option maybe um, is, do, is having sweet tea. I just want to give some background on that. Um, there is this idea of Hamar Medina, um, which is the, literally the drink of the land. Um, but what it basically means is drink of importance. Um, a lot of times when we're supposed to have wine, um, you can also use Hamar Medina. Uh, specifically with Havdalah, this comes up. Um, so people use whiskey for Havdalah or a whole bunch of other drinks that are like important. Um, and what is an important drink is like a whole conversation. Um, like, is orange juice an important drink? Is soda an important drink? Um, these questions are like valuable. Um, not, we're going to discuss it just a little bit, just because I think it's kind of interesting what they what what drinks they're talking about. Um, but but it's not clear what what counts. Um, so he's asking. One, can I use something other than wine for the four cups? And two, if I use something other than wine for the four cups, um, it needs to be this drink of the land, does tea count? So 
can use a drink of the land for the four cups and does is tea one of those is tea good enough um, generally the rule just in general case um, the rule is is it something you would serve like an important guest um, so I think nowadays um, we can safely say coffee would count um, because that's something you would definitely serve a guest um, that was coming. So you can use coffee for Abdullah, which is kind of weird. Um, the post, like rabbis talk about that, but who's using coffee? It's like it's like at eight o'clock at night. Um, but anyways, um, so then he goes on to answer, and what's interesting is that you'll see the answer um, is half. Talmudic in nature and half like personal in nature um, in a way that all of them kind of are um, in, that we've seen um, the last couple months um, but specifically these um, can someone read uh, the first paragraph yeah. the, Talmud, the Talmud in Pesachim 89b states that even the poor of Israel should not eat unless they lean and we should make sure they have at least four cups of wine to drink and even if it comes from the tomboy. I didn't know how to translate that. <laughs> the Rashbam explained this to me that you can take from the tomboy even if you normally are not able to. As the Mishnah in Peya, Peya, Peya states, someone who has enough food for two meals should not take from the tomboy. Even so, if the head of charity does not have for him, he should sell his clothing or borrow the four cups of wine. So, the first, we first have to establish, like, is this important? Like, is this so important that we have to deal with this problem? And the, what we first establish is that the four cups of wine hold and matzah hold like a special place in halacha um, because the tamchoy um, is basically the charity plate, but it's more than that. Um, it's the charity plate for like the extremely poor. Um, like you're not normally allowed to use the tamchoy if you have, I don't know if we, we might get to this. Okay, uh, so you're not allowed. Normally, you're not allowed to even use the tamkoy if you have enough money for two meals. Like it's like I don't have enough food to feed my family today. It's like the emergency, emergency, emergency poor funds, um, and we're saying that even that um, can be used for um, for um, for the four cups and for matzah, and. Even though the Rashbam makes some qualifications to that, like first you should try to borrow, first you should try to sell some stuff to get those things. Um, even so, the fact that we're even talking about the Tamkoy is incredible. Um, it's very special and very related to Pesach in a way that it's not for the other times of the year. Like you can't use the Tamkoy for Kiddush on a Friday night. You can for the Four Cups, and that's special and inherently different. Um, can someone continue? Uh, yeah, can do the next. From all of this, it is clear that there is a great obligation to drink the four cups, as the Rashbam has the poor person go to great lengths to fulfill it. However, this is only when there is wine to be gotten. But what would the Rashbam say if that is not the case? Right. So perhaps the four cups are incredibly important, but only if you can actually get four cups of wine. What if you can't get them at all, um, which is our case um, now? Uh, someone else? Yeah. In the Shulah of Nara, Chaim 496, the Ramah states, <laughs> in those lands where they have the custom to drink a drink made from honey, if one does not have wine for the four cups, this drink is a viable alternative. And the next one? The Chayyim says the same thing about Vaz, that can you do Havdel with it? But 
But the mission of Brewer says that, says that the Kabbalists and the Borg are not acceptable for a dog. It appears that it is dependent on how diluted it is with water. If it is primarily Kabbalist or Borsh, it is acceptable for a dog. So, so we have two things. Um, first, um, the, the Ramah states um, that you can use, if you don't have wine for the four cups, you can use this drink made from honey. Um, because that's a Hamar Medina, that drink made from honey is important. Um, it's an important drink. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, but that drink is important and can be used for the four cups. So that establishes kind of the first question. Um, can you use things other than wine? Um, the Ramah seems to clearly state yes. Um, however, um, the Chai Adam and Mishnah Berurah talk about two things. Um, kvas, which I first thought was like a Hebrew word, but it's not. It's a like Lithuanian-Russian word. Um, it's, ferment, it's like a fermented drink. Um, it's like the Russian version of kombucha, is basically what I found out. Um, so, like, it's basically you can ferment things other than regular grain. Um, although it seems like the based on Wikipedia, um, the, the most general version is rye bread, um, but apparently you can do it with other things. Um, borscht also, which is like a beet soup. Um, making Havdalah on beet soup is kind of weird. Um, but that idea of, of doing that, so it seems to be an argument um, whether or not those things are a Hamar Medina. However, it seems to be established um, that Hamar Medina, a regular good drink, can definitely be used uh, for for the four cups and maybe for Abdallah also, um, even though we know we can do it for Abdallah because we use it. I'm yeah. confused. We're talking about the Holocaust here. I mean, they had a problem just getting water. Right. So right now we're in the ghetto. So we're before we're before like it was like incredibly hard. Meaning like they they were only able to get tea. Which is still like awful and bad, but like it's not. Um, it's not like we don't have water yet. I that would be a much harder question. He doesn't deal with that though. Are all of his questions uh, in the ghetto? So no, they're about half in the ghetto and half um, in the Holocaust itself. Um, the ones I couldn't find any from the Holocaust that were like. I mean, the second one is actually. Um, it was really hard to find any that was that were not like incredible like so incredibly like awful that like we it would be hard to talk about um so I, that's why i picked this one because i thought it was interesting and also about something from last week um so the question would be what would they do on if they can't even get tea um which is actually what he discusses that um near the end um so he ha- he comes to that problem um later on um and interestingly enough, he seems to argue that something like borscht and uh, kvass can be used. So you can use kombucha for Abdullah if you ever want to do that. Um, yeah, it's like um, there's five volumes. I think the first two volumes are in the ghetto, and the three, uh, I think. I can look it up. Um, can somebody else continue from the third paragraph? Yeah, Rachel? Okay, so if they had something better than sweetened tea, for sure it would be fine. Like if they had uh, like 
something important, then for sure it would be okay instead of wine. Um, the question is, though, um, is sweet tea good enough? So it's, it's fascinating we that we do, right. So he brings down this argument um, between the Aruch and Sefer Mincha Shabbat. Um, the Aruch is far more impactful, um, which is why he ends up holding like it, um, but in general. Um, so he discusses this argument, can you use tea for Havdalah? Um, so, and generally we would say the same thing should apply. Um, if you can use, if it's important, like the question is, is it important? So if it's important, you can use it for both. If it's not important, you can't use it for either. Um, and so he brings down this argument. Um, can you continue? Sure. According to all this, I decide that since tea is acceptable for Havdalah, when you can even get other beverages, now when we cannot get any other beverages, it is certainly acceptable for the four cups. As the Ramah is more Mikhail about the four cups and the Yonim, so basically he ends the question saying yes you can use it for the four cups for two reasons and he kind of needs both um, one he's not sure if it works for Havdalah for, for ending, ending, ending Shabbat um, he's not sure if it works for that but we see that the Ramah is lenient more lenient with the four cups so if, it's, if we're not sure with Havdalah and we're being more lenient, then it's okay. And he kind of needs those two things. One, that we're more lenient with, um, with the four cups. And two, that it's probably okay for Havdalah also. Um, yeah. So I actually... Um, I would like, I'm going to skip the next paragraph. Um, I'm just going to say it outside. Um, basically, um, he brings down the next problem um, is not everyone could get tea. Um, we didn't have, they didn't have enough, which is still kind of crazy. Like they were just trying to get, get tea and they couldn't get enough for everyone. Um, so the question is then, um, what do you do then? So the answer is kind of that the same thing you do on Kiddush on Friday night um, for people that are allergic to wine or, or can't get any wine. So what you do is you say Kiddush on the bread. Um, so they would do the same thing here. They would say Kiddush on the bread, um, on the matzah. Um, they would kind of like you package it into one. Um, then he goes into a whole thing about, okay, so you said it Hamotzi, so now what do you do about saying the blessing on Karpas? Um, it's much longer than this. Um, but that's the part that gets fairly technical um, and is not quite as, as relevant to what we're talking about. Um, so he comes down that the four cups is fine. Um, and this is where it gets meta. Can somebody just read that last paragraph, a short one? Sure. Yeah. After the students heard this, they tried to accumulate as much tea as possible so that as many people can do the four cups as viable. And through this, their spirit rose and their hearts were overjoyed with hope that one day they will be saved with the four languages of freedom, 
that the cups represent. So, like, he, he does something that is not normal. Um, he goes kind of, because he's writing this five, ten years later, so it's like, it's like meta on it. Um, like, he's describing not just what hap- what, not just the answer, but he's describing the impact of the answer. Um, it's not something normal in response to literature. Um, and what he discusses is that he, they tried to get it for as many people. Um, and what's interesting is because the four cups singularly represent freedom in the Seder, um, that they represent the four ways that God freed us. Um, and so that's particularly impactful. Um, I, I mean, I would imagine is particularly impactful when you're being kind of like enslaved and you want to think about freedom um, to be able to leave to have this feeling that possibly we can get out because we did it once before and we were able to get our four cups of wine and even though they weren't wine, like it works. And the fact that it works um, is amazing. Um, What I thought was particularly interesting is like, just say yes, you know? Like I would have thought the answer is like, you know, you just be as lenient as you could possibly be always. And what's fascinating is that he's not. Um, he's not even here. Um, the fact that he has to go through this whole complicated explanation as to why it's okay to use tea for the four cups of wine, seeing as how important it is in the end, um, is kind of like, why, why, are you, why aren't you just being lenient? Why aren't you just being like, you know what, it's fine. It might not be perfect, but we'll just say it's Hamar Medina. We'll just say it's the drink of the lands. Like, he doesn't do that, and he goes so much deeper um, than I think we would now think he would need to. Um, And I think it's partially coming from the question. Um, The question is so much deeper than that person needs to go. Um, They could have just said, you know, we're in a ghetto. We don't have access. We're just not going to do the Four Cups this year. Um, And we'll hope to do it next year, but we're just not going to do it this year. Um, and that questioner doesn't do that. Um, and the answerer doesn't do the same thing. Doesn't say, doesn't give up either. Um, takes it just as seriously as the question is, um, which I thought was fascinating. Any other thoughts about this? Yeah. I was thinking also that I'm sure they missed like, learning in Cheder and just the, that they missed the talking about everything in Judaism and all the questions and that maybe obviously the response is like ridiculous in that way could have just said yes but showing like no we still care and there's so much so much to talk about and we're still engaged in Jewish thought. Right. And they really do engage in it. They engage in it more than I would expect. Um, they engage in it seriously. Um, this chuva is looks aside from the question being like elaborate and like the meta stuff at the end, it looks the same as anything you would see now or anything you would see 100 years ago or anything you would see 200 years ago. They look, it looks almost identical. Um, he follows the same rubric. He starts with the Talmud, goes through the different commentaries, goes through all the different possibilities, says, okay, I need these three things to say it's okay, or I need these three things to say it's not, it's, it's not okay, and he comes to a conclusion. It looks exactly the same. It could have been written about somebody now that's allergic to wine. Um, this chuva literally could have been written about in 2016 um, without the question and without the answer. Um, it looks exactly the same, and I think that's partially what, we're getting, what he's getting at is how important it is to seriously connect 
um, to the Judaism um, that they were used to um, and how impactful that could be. I actually, my father was a Holocaust survivor, my parents, um, his um, grandparents on both sides were Holocaust survivors. And I actually asked my father, I, I, I don't get it. Why were you asking questions? Why did you even believe? Why did Judy was going to die if they were killing all of you? And he said the only time he ever really felt alive was when they spoke talk. When you spoke about your past, it just made you cry. When you spoke about a future, you didn't believe in it. The only thing you believed in that you knew was real was the halakha. And he said when they would discuss it, 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 just, it just brought them into another place without sadness in a way. And they felt this was their way to hit back at the Germans. They felt disgusting Torah was like killing a German. Because it gave them strength, a strength and a belief that they can't take away. Right. So the one question I don't fully know, because he doesn't explain, is to what extent did he give his opinion and explain the ideas and then afterwards put in who wrote what? I don't know. Um, but he, I mean, he's a big enough deal beforehand that I could believe that he remembered all this um, because he's doing this, like there's uh, like over a hundred of these. So he's doing this over and over again. Um, so his ability to recall, I'm not sure to what extent it's written after or written afterwards um but yeah it's amazing that he's like able to do it off the cuff because there's no way like he certainly didn't have barilan so um so he didn't have like access to a full library um yeah i'm not sure if you explain this but what does he mean by the four languages of freedom so um so one of the um one of the ideas behind the four cups of wine um, is the four lishanot um, gula, the four ways um, the Torah talks about freedom. Um, in, in the Torah, there's kind of five, but there are four ways, and maybe the fifth is what then became Elijah's cup um, later on in history. Um, but there are these idea of four ways that God saved us, um, and um, like it's like levels of saving, like taking us out of the slavery and also taking us out of Egypt, but also taking us out of like a spiritual um, slavery and a physical one. And like how you determine the four um, changes, um, that could be a whole nother topic. Over No, like, yeah, uh, yeah, like four different, four different Hebrew words that are used um, to mean the same thing, but we want to know like, the idea is like that they mean slightly different things. Um, it's 
similar in function to the fours that come up throughout the Seder, um, the four cups of wine, the four sons, um, the four um, ways we were freed, uh, the four questions, um, a whole bunch of others. So the next, the next tshuva um, is a little more intense theologically and far less intense halakhically. Um, this has become a more, these type of questions have become more prevalent nowadays. Um, and again, um, it's on the next page. You can see that the question is longer than the answer. Um, that's also very rare um, that a question is longer than a paragraph, but the fact that it's longer than the answer um, is even odder. Um, and basically the question that they wanted to ask is in the morning, there are the morning blessings. Um, so it's thank you for, um, not tying me up. Thank you for, um, um, thank you for like having me, um, be able to see. Thank you for me being free, like all these different things. And one of them is thank you for not making me a slave. Um, So the question that they wanted to ask is, so basically some background, the Kovnau ghetto um, kind of became a concentration camp also. Um, Instead of like them all being taken from the Warsaw ghetto and brought to Auschwitz, um, the Kovnau ghetto was kind of turned into one um, where it became its own concentration camp a little bit. Um, So it kind of transitioned. Instead of the people being moved, the place was transformed. so they were working really hard as concentration camp workers in their homes. Um, and the question is, how can you say, Shalom Asani Aved, that you did not make me a slave when you're working as a slave? Um, if you're actually doing the thing, how can you say that one? Um, it would be similar to, if you're blind, how can you say, for giving me sight, like you can't really say that one? Yeah? So he's um, he's uh, he's going to get to that's kind of like the thought um, is like there are people that have talked about this not this example obviously um, but there are a lot of the commentaries talk about this idea like what happens if you are enslaved um, so that idea that question the question's not new um, the context is new um, but the question itself it is not. Um, would someone like to read the second question? Here, let's start off. Is it permissible to say the blessing of that you did not make me a slave in the ghetto, in the hellish place of killing and the valley of crying, the place of oppression, through iron and darkness in the ghetto of Kovno, a place that was once a land of Torah scholars and those that led their lives with good speech and work, has been made into a place of hard labor that is meant to tire us out. We were sold as slaves for no money and our work does not even provide benefit. In these times of sadness and hardship that has no rest, the Germans wish to destroy God's people through this hard labor. In these times we must ask, if you judge the whole world, why do you hide your face from us? Why have you hidden your face from me? So 
the, the question, as you see, that's like kind of the preamble. Um, that preamble style is like all over the Sefer. Um, I tried to encapsulate the like flowery language that they use. Um, you can see it if you, if you want to look in the Hebrew itself. It's much nicer. Um, it's a little hard for the, like, the euphemisms in Hebrew um, don't fully translate to English. Um, but this flowery language to explain how awful it was, um, to really try to convey what the asker is asking. Um, they're not just asking, like, I'm working hard. Um, why, how can I say um, that you did not make me a slave? It's much more intense than that. It's much more real than that. Um, would someone else like to continue? Hold So what they wanted to know, yeah, I wrote the two words twice. Um, They wanted to ask this idea um, of, okay, I understand there's this blessing, Shaloh Asaniyaved, do not make me a slave. How can I say, the people were saying it in a bitter tone. They couldn't say it really because they couldn't feel it. Because how can you say it? How can you say Shiloh Asani Yavid? How can you say that? Did you not make me a slave when you're actually a slave? And it wasn't, the question wasn't like, I don't want to say it. It was like heartbreaking to say it every day. To say like, thank you for something over and over again that is so not true um, that it just feels awful. And so every day what they were doing was just saying it, but saying it in sadness which is, like, incredible. Um, the fact that they're asking this after they've been saying it for a time. Like, they didn't just say, okay, now I want to know, like, did, can I stop saying this? It's after, like, a period of time of intense labor when they are already been saying it and saying it, and then they ask only later, can we stop? Um, is incredible in its own right. Um, that they didn't do it all the way at the beginning. Um, that they didn't just like stop saying it and then ask, is it okay that we stop saying it? Um, they continue to say it and then they ask, can we stop? Um, which is a very different framing of the question um, than I would have expected. Um, okay. Um, here, I, I, I'll read this part. Answer. The question is dealt with by many of the great rabbis. So this question is dealt with in the Gemara and Menachot, um, where basically every commentary brings up a different idea um, of why, what are the meaning of these blessings. Um, About half of them say the same thing. Um, He quotes the Avudraham, um, but about half of them say this idea. Um, Rashi's the lone example, one of the lone examples that says something different, um, which is interesting, but it's like a separate topic. The Vudram answers this question, if you should say a blessing, if you are captured and forced to work. So if you're uh, in Shevi, if you're in in capture, like, do you say, if you're forced to work every day, um, do you have to do it? Um, He was famously 
um, for this happened to him for a short period of time himself. Um, so that's where that question comes up. Um, but the kind of the question is the more general question. If you feel like an Eved, if you feel like a slave, do you have to say that you did not make me a slave? He answers that the blessing was not instituted at all about the work involved in being a slave, and not because slaves have to do the work, not because slaves have to do the slave work, but because a slave is not obligated in all the commandments. Therefore, a captured Jew still must make the blessing. So according to the Avudraham, if you're, just, if you're captured and you're forced to work, so you still have to do the, say the blessing because that blessing isn't about working. Like, you're, you're a slave, sure, but you still are, have, the, um, have the obligation to do the commandments in a way that the slave doesn't. Um, a slave has, doesn't have to do all the commandments, and therefore, what you're thanking God is, thank you for not making me pers- a person who doesn't have to do all the commandments. It's not a, about like a negative perception about slavery at all. It's not even a negative perception about doing hard work or doing hard labor. It's just a negative perception about not having to do all the commandments. Yeah. What about where they were so overworked that their bodies were used to nothing because they didn't have time to do any of the commandments at all? So that benefit didn't really, it's like you have all these commandments, but your, your life's at risk, you can't even do any of them. Right. So it's literally the next paragraph. It's um, a good question. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's also the same answer the three of them are Shalom, Sani Abed, Shalom, Sani Gai, Shalom, Sani Isha. Right. So many people have issues with, and it's the same answer to all of them. It's just that women, non Jews, and slaves have fewer mitzvah than your average working man. Right. So it's also yeah. you have the um, freedom to still of your mind. Right. Your mind can still think, your mind can still think of Rachel. But I have to tell you, there are Rebbeim that said they didn't have to say that bracha. Right, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure these answers are not to be taken yeah. Yeah. But for halacha. It's to um, think that even though you're still a slave, that you, right. your mind is still free and you can still remember and you can still do whatever you can do. But this is the common answer given for all three of those. Um, similar with um, that you did not make me a non-Jew. Um, the similar idea is we're not saying something particularly negative about non-Jews. Um, it's just non-Jews have seven mitzvot, seven commandments, and we have 613. And we're just thanking God for the difference, for the 606 that are the difference. Um, that, um, what? yeah, quick math. Um, okay, so as Moishi alluded to. Um, even if you are in a situation where you are in a state of ones, um, ones is this state, it's hard to translate, but it's this state of being that things are against your will, um, that um, you can't not do something. Um, so the question comes up, like if somebody forces you, tells you, I'm going to kill you, or you have to steal something from me. Um, so you're allowed to steal it um, because you're in a state of ones. You're in a state of things being against your will. Um, there's no real way to translate it. There's no English word. Um, so even if you are a state where, even if you are in a situation where you are in a state of ones, God gives a dispensation for those in ones. So it's this idea of ones rachmana patre um, that if you are in a place where you don't have a choice, um, God doesn't punish you for not for doing what you had to do because you don't have a choice. Um, but you still have the obligation to do the commandments. Therefore, one should still say that you did not make me a slave. 
So I think it's kind of similar to what my mother was saying, um, is this idea of, it's true, you can't do them right now, um, but you're still obligated in them. And there seems to be some inherent value um, in being obligated in more things, even if you can't do them, um, which is like an interesting idea in general. uh, one that could be spoken about at more length, um, this like inherent value um, in being obligated in things, um, which is a general idea, I think, in Judaism as a whole. Um, we celebrate things that give you more obligation. It's, it's like very opposite of other things. Generally, we celebrate like not having obligations. Like you have a graduation ceremony. Like I don't need to take tests anymore. That's a good thing. Um, meanwhile, we celebrate like having a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah where you're now obligated in, in commandments. We're celebrating um, a marriage where you're now obligated to take care of each other. We celebrate um, all the things we celebrate generally are about having more obligation for things. Um, and so um, just having that obligation, even if you're not going to do it, um, is is valuable and you're not a slave. Even though you might act like a slave, um, you're not actually one. And even so, even more so in our times, it is important to say this blessing for we are still a free people even when our enemies have us in their hands. It's very similar. And the Lord will be good to us and buy us back from our troubles. We... We will be brought up to Zion in joy and rebuild our temple and there will be a proclaim in front of him, him, a new song of our redemption may be as well. So he goes on like also this meta idea again of how important this is in general um, is this is not just some idea of saying like, okay, can you or can you not stop saying this blessing? It's about an existential crisis Um, that Jews were having over every single thing. It wasn't just about this blessing. It wasn't about the four cups. It's not about the other hundred things we could talk about. Um, Being able to keep as much as they could of their tradition, of their Judaism, um, was inherently valuable um, in a way um, that it might not have been in any other time in history um, because it's what gave them hope. It's what allowed them to survive. Um, and without that, um, you wonder what would have happened. Um, without that connection, without that connection to tradition, without that connection, um, the ability to a- ask these questions, the ability to have these questions to even be answered, um, the ability that there's even questions to be asked at all um, is special and unique um, th- to a religion that's based in law. Um, because that's one of the major unique factors of Judaism, um, that it's based in a law system. And even though dogma might be important, um, the basis is a law system that you live your life by. Um, You say the blessings every morning, whether or not you think you need to. Um, and then ask the question later, do I have to do it? Um, Because maybe I don't, because... Um, but like this is kind of this a general idea that um, there's like a problem with only relying on feelings. Um, that when you only rely on feelings, um, they are inherent. They're incredible, and they make everything great, and they make it important. Um, but when you only rely on feelings, um, these questions don't make sense um, in in that context of 
of like a religion based on feeling. Um, if it's, but if it's something we do every day, if it's something we say every morning, if it's something we do every year, um, and we need a reason to say why this is okay or not, it adds like an importance to everything um, that things wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and I just thought these were two good examples of that. Um, we could do like 50 more, but uh, yeah. Um, so I actually thought this is interesting because this is not a book that's like available for sale and there needs to be a new edition. So that was something I was thinking about while I was putting this together. Um, so what I thought we could do... Um, oh, does anyone have any questions? I'm sorry. Or any thoughts? Any um, so I thought we could do um, just a quick candle lighting ceremony um, and um, basically what I thought we, um, if we, I could have six volunteers um, that would want to come up and light a candle um, for, for the congregation um, in the memory of the six million um, after that um, we'll say the Kelmale in Hebrew and English um, which you have here um, can I get a volunteer to say it in English? Okay, yeah. Um, and I'll say, so I'll say it in Hebrew. Um, we'll say it in English. We'll have like a minute of, um, of a, mo- a moment of silence. Um, and then we'll end with anima amin. Um, so six, I don't know. Sure, please. Yeah, come on, please. And it's like... You have to push down there. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Stanislaw, 1942. It might be out. That's why. I think it's out. That's right. Persevere. 
I'll use that. Yes, thank you. Kel Mali Rachamim, Shochein Bamromi, Hamitsei Minucha Nechona, Al Kanfei Hashkina, Vimalot Kedoshim Torim Kizoarakia, Masirim Ekol Nishmot, Shishet Milione Hayudim. Chalalei Hashua Be'Eropa Shenergu Shenishkatu Shenisrifu Fishenispu Akidush Hashem Bitei Hamiratzchim Agermanim Hanatzim Ha'uzrehem Mishar Hamim Lachin Balarachamim Yasirim Beseter Kinafav Lolamim Bitror Bitror Achaim Enishmotehem Adonai Unachalatam Beganedem Tehemenuchatam Viamdula Goralam Laketa Yamin Vinomar Amen Oh.